Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Welcome again, everyone, to Hope Brooklyn. Uh, my name is Bryant. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, this is our final service for the year. Um, in the next two weeks, um, with all the holidays coming in, I know a lot of family plans, um, but I will say um, we have a very special Christmas Eve um, service video um, that will be shared um, via email with some great testimonies and some updates, worship, um, and all that good stuff. So um, feel f- please be on the lookout for that email, and if you're not part of our mailing list, um, just join that to make sure that you receive that as well. Um, and so today, as we wrap up our year, um, it's, man, I don't know what it is. It's a lot of pressure preparing, like, the final sermon for the year. I know we're going to be back here, like, in three weeks, but it just feels like there's an extra weight to it. Um, and I'm actually really excited to be able to um, talk and continuing our series on Advent um, the past couple of weeks. Um, and as we kind of lead into this season of awaiting of the Christmas joy, the Christmas story, um, as we see the joy of children and families and kids, um, <laughs> I think that's my baby crying in the back. Um, being able to prepare our hearts um, for this season and use this time as an opportunity to be able to slow our rhythms. I know that's a weird thing to say in New York City. Like the holiday season, the last thing we think of is slow and paced. Um, some of you have already made the, your um, brave journey out to Manhattan to see the, the trees, the lights, the show, um, the, the winter village and all that stuff. Um, and so I understand that living in the city sometimes this idea of slowing down and waiting um, is challenging, um, especially with all the chores you might have, all the gifts we need to get, all the family visitations we need to plan and coordinate. Um, some of you who just recently got married, you're learning how to navigate the family season with both sides of the family. Um, and so I know this is a weird time for us to be able to think and to process um, being patient, slowing down, and getting rid of the hurry. Um, but I think it's so important for us to be able to enter in um, to the special season in the calendar um, that Janice mentioned earlier. It's not just us, but churches across the globe and for generations have taken this practice and this time of Advent. And so with that said, if I could just say a word of prayer for us um, to open up the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the joy of children, for laughter, um, for families, and this beautiful church that you have um, blessed us with. God, may we just continue to lean into your story, um, not just the Hallmark, Hollywood version of the Christmas birth, but the true story of you coming into this world from darkness and bringing the light. May we continue to hold on to you as our hope um, in a broken, broken, shattered world. Um, where we just feel like we're living in fragments. But God, I pray that you will come with your sweet, sweet peace and justice and healing. May you be the hope of the world and hope for our lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today as we start off, uh, once again, I want us to be able to have this opportunity um, to prepare our hearts and to be able to draw close into this Christmas season. Um, 
once again, I think we get caught up in the festivities, which is great, which is a lot of fun. Um, you know, the city comes alive. Um, whether you're introvert or extrovert, introvert, you're probably like not leaving your apartment for the next month and a half. Um, but for you extroverts that are just going out, just seeing the world and seeing the city for all the lights and um, all the joy that's surrounding it, I want us to make sure that our joy and our hope is not being placed into ornaments um, figuratively and, you know, literally, uh, we finally got a Christmas tree. Um, I'm not a fan of Christmas trees. It's a lot of work and a lot of cleaning. <laughs> but with a newborn baby, first Christmas, I was like, all right, I guess we're going to pay an arm and a leg for this tree that's not going to be around in a month. Anyway, um, I'm not going to take the joy out of that. But um, in all those things, I want to make sure that our joy, our peace, and our hope is being placed in the true king. And we sing songs like Joy to the World. Um, but this idea of a king coming in, and I know sometimes for us in our culture and our generation, we don't like this idea of a king. It just feels so um, like it's like we gotta, this one person rules over everything. That's not fair. Um, and when we think of the concept of king, we think of this overruling and that we're all just subjects to. And in some parts, that is true. Because if truly for us to understand and sing songs like Jesus is the coming king, and this Christmas story is not just about a baby being born in a manger, but it's about the king and the hope of the world entering in. And it's hard because many times, you know, we live our lives and we produce to be able to get things instantly. We do everything we can to mitigate weight, to mitigate patience. Um, like shopping online has just revolutionized Christmas shopping. Um, I, I went, I, my wife and I, we braved through Target yesterday, um, never again. Um, but I was like, just everything just on Amazon, order to your house right away. Um, and we, we, we curate and build our lives to be able to get rid of weight, to get rid of that patient period. And a lot of times, with our faith, that's what we desire. We want instant change. We want to be able to show up on a Christmas service and leave completely transformed. And by the Holy Spirit, I hope that happens, right? But we want this instant change. But the reality is sometimes God works in this slow, trusting process. And it takes a lot of faith for us to be saying, God, this is going to be a lifelong journey versus do something for me today. <laughs> you know, most of the times when I have conversations with people who don't believe in Jesus, they're like, why can't he just change everything right now? I'm like, I, I wish the same thing too, okay? I wish in a, in a blink of an eye, all the pain, suffering, sorrow would just disappear. I don't know why, but he decides to operate in a different way. I wish my life can, I could just fix all my bad habits, you know, um, in this kind of hustle culture and um, achievement, performance culture. I, I love all the books I get recommended, and I read these books hoping that by, I, by the time I finish it, my life has changed. Right? I read Atomic Habits. I'm like, I want all my habits to be fixed. I want to be disciplined. Okay? I don't want, any, I don't want to be lazy. Like, if I read this book, my life is going to change. And we might be able to make some tweaks and adjustments. Right? I, want to read, I want to watch this YouTube video on financial advisement, and then boom, all my fin financial issues are gone. <laughs> we, we want this instant result, instant hurry. And the problem is when we, when we desire those things, we begin to lose faith and trust in the process. We begin to lose faith and trust in the slow work that God is doing in our lives, the daily conversations that he's working in and through, the, slow, the moments that we pause or five minutes of prayer. See, 
we, we, we will be willing to invest an hour of prayer if we realize that's the only hour of prayer we ever need to do and everything's going to be changed after that. But if we were to be challenged, hey, what if we spent five minutes a day in prayer and allow, allow God to do that slow work in us? <laughs> Excitement from the song. So. <laughs> you can join us up here if you want. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, but we, 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 we are challenged and we suffer through the slow work. But this Advent season kind of puts us on pause, right? Christmas is coming next week, but we can't make the days go faster. We can't make the hours or the, or the seconds go faster. Maybe we could do things to dull that time so that it kind of feels like it's coming faster, but it's the same 24 hours. And this allows us to take a break, to pause, and to have this eager expectation and wait. And in this waiting period, it's painful because in the waiting period, we realize the anxiety, the tension of brokenness, the tension of the shattered world that we see. And we got to live in that waiting period. But that's the beauty of Advent. We understand, we don't dismiss that there is brokenness and darkness as we talked about the past couple of weeks. We don't dismiss that there's injustices happening just because it's a holiday season and everything's red and green. We don't dismiss those things, but it's in the midst of that we have this tension of excitement. Excitement of a savior, of a hope coming into this world that will deliver us from that. And see, that is the expectation of the coming king because in Matthew 3, 1 to 3, in those days, John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist was a very eccentric person. If you read the verses afterwards, you kind of see his lifestyle. You're like, this guy fits in Brooklyn. Um, but John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And we, we look at that word immediately in verse 2, repent. And some of us, there's like trauma that's just starting to flood in right now, right? We, we All these connotations of the word repent, this feeling, this trigger comes in. And, I, and let me tell you, I feel that preparing the sermon, okay? I'm like rehearsing it. I'm like, repent. I'm like, ooh, okay? It's like, like literally I get flashbacks of some moments of that I had encounters with people that utilized that word and weaponized it in the faith. We heard the word repent, and I'm beginning to think of some of us in this room that might be triggered by it because of the way it's been catalyzed and used against us to see God but not see God in the full gospel. So here, it's hard because it's in the Bible, right? This is the message of John the Baptist before the coming king, right? Before Jesus enters into the scene of ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, this is the one that is spoken of in Isaiah. And it's, you want to talk about waiting? The listeners of Isaiah did not have the luxury to see their Savior come into fruition. We're reading the scriptures of hope, of com the comforter coming, the healer com coming, the prince of peace coming. Right? In Isaiah 9, you see this picture of, people, of Isaiah talking about people walking in darkness, but there will be a light. Most of these people never got to see that light. <laughs> They never got to see the coming of Jesus, but they were only told, and they had to hold on to faith that this Jesus and the Savior will be coming. So here, Isaiah is quoted, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, this Advent season is a proclamation and declaration that the King is coming. The King is coming. The King is arriving. 
Whether we want to or not, whether we're ready or not, the king is arriving. And as the king is arriving, the kingdom is at hand. And this Advent season allows us to prepare our hearts and make room for this king to come. And if we imagine and we think about it, are we ready to receive the king in our hearts? Are we ready to receive the kingdom of God into our lives? And today, um, it feels weird that the series we're wrapping up with repentance and rest. I wish it was something a lot more lighter and we just feel kind of going out singing some songs in celebration of Christmas. But repentance and rest and how these two are intertwined together. That if truly we believe that Jesus is the king, the rightful king, the savior of the world, that means as he enters into our lives, the kingdoms that we've built become shattered. See, as human nature, we are great kingmakers. We're amazing at building our own kingdoms. We're amazing at building our own dreams and ambitions. We're amazing at dictating culture and how everyone should abide by this vision that we have for an ideal world. Because if we were to have every single one of us in this room write down what is your ideal world, there'll be conflict. Just go on social media. Everyone is projecting their own ideal world of what justice and peace should look like. Everyone is projecting what a whole world looks like, what a fair world looks like. And then immediately following that, com that, that comment is just another whole array of comments of saying why we're wrong or we're right. We're amazing kingmakers. We're amazing at building and raising our own kingdoms, even in religion. We build our kingdoms of saying this is how church should operate. This is how a church should be. We have this image and vision. And yes, there are examples in scripture and Bibles of how we as the body of Christ and how the world should look like and be, but oftentimes we use Jesus as just a moral teacher. We use the examples in the life of Jesus to kind of curate and to fix certain areas that we desire or that seems amicable to us. And the way we build kingdoms in our own hearts and our own lives is that we take something and we make it our supreme thing. We make it the thing that we can't live without, we dream about, we have nightmares about, all our fears hinge on it. What if I were to lose this? What, what if this was to walk away from me? What if this changed in my life? And what happens is when we build our own kingdoms, we begin to build these walls of anxiety and fear and insecurity. Repentance and rest goes hand in hand because if we truly believe that the king is coming, this holiday season, that Jesus is arriving into this world. He comes with his kingdom. And we have an option to choose. Do we want his kingdom to reign in our hearts? Or do we want our kingdoms to be the things that supreme and dictate all of our decisions, our thinking, our thought process? See, if we truly want Jesus to come, not just partially, right? We don't want just pieces of his kingdom, but if we just want Jesus fully is to say, God, we relinquish ours. We come with open hands, and that's what repentance is, is to be able to say, God, I'm, I'm relinquishing these things that I've built that have, have tried to replace you, that try to imitate you, that try to imitate the desires that we want from you. Think about all the areas of our life that we've built to provide peace, security, joy. Think about all the areas of our life that we've built and we surrounded ourselves with 
to ease our anxiety for an evening, to comfort us for a moment. And those things don't necessarily have to be evil or bad. It can be good. But oftentimes those take place of the kingdom of God. During this Advent season, are we ready to make room in our hearts? Are we ready to make room for our king by relinquishing the reins over our kingdoms that we have built? See, these kingdoms, we, we, we spend a lot of time micromanaging our, our dreams. This is my 10-year plan. This is my career trajectory. And nothing can get in the way. I mean, I admire people like that. Um, like Kobe Bryant was like the one celebrity that I was like, I don't really get starstruck, but I think I would have, I would have lost it if I ever met him in real life. Um, but everyone just admires his work ethic, his dream, that nothing, he's single-minded, nothing can get in his way. And we, we, we build that kind of culture in our life that we have this dream and nothing will get in the way, even God. And I get confused at times, too, because I meet people who had this very successful career making all this money and they were, you know, on top of their work field and profession. And they're like, yeah, I decided to go into seminary. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why would you go into ministry, right? So, like, fund these churches, help people. It's like, oh, I just felt the call to preach. I'm like, oh, man, you messed up. Um, so, like, I get it. Like, I feel this cultural angst of, like, do something great, be great. And it's weird as a pastor to be like, be great, Right? Like, that's kind of the encouragement. It's weird to think that way. But that's the reality of it. We, we build these things, and we don't even allow God to interfere with our plans. We don't allow God to interfere with our dreams, our vision, our hopes. We don't let, allow God to even interfere with the things that we've built to provide security and peace. So many times you hear testimonies and stories of people relinquishing possessions and comfort to choose a life to follow Jesus. And I always wonder why. Even as a pastor, I'm like, why? Seeing my former youth pastor up and leaving his comfort of living in New York, having a job, having a family here, and going to a country where if anyone found out that he was a Christian, he'll be, him and his family will be killed. And he's there preaching the gospel. And I'm like, how do you know who to talk to? Because <laughs> anyone that you talk to that doesn't agree with you, He's like, they're going to oust you. He's like, I just allowed the Holy Spirit to tell me who to, who to talk to. I'm like, man, I can't do that. <laughs> but I see that, and I'm like, why would you leave all this comfort behind to choose this life? And I realize there's, there's this calling of following Jesus, relinquishing our kingdoms, relinquishing our ideals, relinquishing our pride, relinquishing this idea that we know it all, I mean, we're a generation that can have all the information in the world at our fingertips, right? Back then, you just had to say, I don't know, <laughs> right? Now, I just go, give me a second. Just Google over here. It's like, I got the information for you, right? I could provide all this information for you now. But now we live in a culture where we just, it just feels weird not to know anything because we have everything in front of us. Sometimes it's too much information. But are we will willing to relinquish our pride are we willing to relinquish the tower of bitterness that we built towards a family member, towards an enemy? That we've built up so much bitterness that, if we, that we don't even allow God to go near it. God, reform me in all these areas, but don't let your kingdom touch my bitterness. Don't ask me to forgive because you know what they have done to me. 
but to, for truly to say, God, you are the coming king this Advent season. As to say, God, come into those areas of my life. Allow me to forgive. God, I hand over my grief to you. I hand over my pain. I hand over my pride, my greed. All these areas I surrender to you. See, repentance and rest are intertwined because how many of us are so tired are micromanaging, upkeeping our kingdoms? Maybe for some of us, we created this lie or image of ourselves that we project to people. And now we live in this constant fear of being, being caught or, being, or having those areas of our lives revealed. Maybe for some of us, we've escaped the realities of our identity to be able to shape and create a new one. Um, when I was a youth pastor and talking to seniors, what all these seniors loved and were excited about going to college is like they could remake their image. And I'm like, but you're going to college with like 20 of your high school friends. <laughs> like they're going to know who you are, right? <laughs> but it's like this idea that I could start new, I could start fresh. It's, it's tiring, it's taxing, it's exhausting trying to maintain our security. It's tiring and taxing to maintain this image of I know everything. And I'm, 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 I'm there because my biggest fear is to say I don't know. And I'm in the worst profession to be able to say I know everything. <laughs> right? And sometimes the expectation is like, you're a pastor, you should know. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I know at times. And then I sit at the feet of a scholar or professor like I did last week. who's like, like a spiritual hero of mine. And I hear him talking. I'm like, I know nothing. Right? It's just it, it's the reality of it. Like, we feel like we know everything until we come face to face with someone that knows everything. I'm the type that I don't want to feel ashamed of not knowing something or feeling like I'm, I'm not smart enough or I don't belong in the room. How many times we've been in a scene in an in a, in a environment in a gathering where we're trying to fake it till we make it, right? And I catch myself doing this all the time in social circles. I just want to sit in the corner and eat my food and, <laughs> and just, you know, just be to myself. But I feel like, oh, I got I to gotta socialize. I got to network. I got to project. It's challenging. It's taxing. And the taxing thing is that all these kingdoms that have been promised to us, all these areas of our life that we know are destructive and does not adhere to the heart of God, does not connect to the heart of God, all these things will do the same thing. They'll promise fulfillment. They'll promise wholeness. They'll promise satisfaction, but at the end of the day, it'll always pull the rug. And we feel empty, we feel tired, we feel exhausted because we feel like we need to make it up again. And we end up in this vicious circle. Oh, this relationship that I'm in, it'll, it'll make me feel fulfilled and loved momentarily. And then you start finding out, man, this person is completely different than I am. Our ideals are different. The way we think and process is different. The arguments begin to arise. And you're like, no, 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 let me pursue the next one. The, re the reality is, even if we feel like we've married the perfect person, the expectation for them to fulfill all of our needs and joy every day is not possible. We will be left disappointed because that responsibility, that weight is held within God. God is the one that will provide the peace, the affirmation, the joy, the love that we truly seek. And see, repentance and rest go together because sin has a way 
of entangling into every area of our life. It entangles its way into our hearts, into our way of living, and it provides this truth and promise that it'll take care of us, but it doesn't. See, true rest comes when we are able to relinquish our kingdoms, to surrender our ideals and our way of life and say, God, please, may you have your way. And Timothy Keller, a pastor in the city, recently passed, um, wrote this great article, and this is just an excerpt from the article. It says, it is important to consider how the gospel affects and transforms the act of repentance. In religion, the purpose of repentance, repentance is basically to keep God happy so he'll continue to bless you and answer your prayers. I mean, how many of us have been there? Right? We, we say we, start, we come into a mode of repentance and prayer to God because we're like, God, just maintain it. If I don't repent for this, you're not going to listen to me, right? That's kind of like the, the religious act of repentance. This means that religious repentance is selfish, self-righteous, and bitter all the way to the bottom. But in the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union of Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. See, the true heart of repentance is actually joy. It's not this fear-mongering act of coming to God, of this bitterness, of this self-righteous act, of this kind of like this, this work that we imagine repentance to be. Right? I mean, just hearing that word is tiring. Hearing that word is taxing. It's exhausting because maybe all, all the past traumas that we've had. Right? I've, I've, been, I've been in all the circles. <laughs> I've been in front of open-air preachers calling me a, a sinner. I'm like, I thought I was saved. <laughs> See, finds it vibing with me. Um, all the ways that we see, it's taxing, it's exhausting. But true repentance that comes out of understanding our relationship with God and God's heart leads to this transformation of joy because it gives us rest. It allows us to say that, God, I'm not in control of my life, but may you lead me. God, I have this enormous, enormous tower of anger and bitterness. May you remove this weight and give me rest. I mean, th there's reasons why people talk, that for talk about forgiveness feeling like it's this huge relief this 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 kind of like this sigh of the sigh of relief because now we're able to move on with our lives right no it's even deeper than that that in forgiveness we tap into the joy of jesus thomas merton in another way um in, a book, in his book no man is an island he wrote but the man who is not afraid to admit everything that he sees to be wrong with himself and yet recognizes that he may be the object of god's love precisely because of his shortcomings, can begin to be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not in his own illusions about himself, but in the endless, unfailing mercy of God. We relinquish the tight grip and fear that comes along with upkeeping our kingdoms. It is its relief. And the best way I can explain it is, if any of us have ever dealt with like a giant financial loan, aka school loans, the evil empire, right? Um, just imagine that we're just working tirelessly, paying off this debt, car loan, mortgage, school loan, and to a point where we don't even realize that we're working to pay off this debt. It just becomes like, oh, monthly payment, it's just, it's just taken out, right? It's just taken out. But for years, we could be battling and struggling to make this demand, this debt that is owed month after month, and you're reminded of this debt over and over. 
and the relief that comes if someone were to ever to come and say, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for your loans. I'll, pay for, I'll cover that mortgage. I'll pay that debt. Or that last moment, I still remember paying off my car. I mean, I, I went into a car payment that I should not have, but I remember paying off that last month and this, this relief that I'll never have to see it again. And here's the thing. I still have the app of that loan company in my phone, even though I don't owe them a dollar anymore. It just, like, it just lingers there. It's almost like a reminder. And for some reason, I just can't delete it because I've been so entangled with it. And the stress that comes with it, the worry that comes with it, the anxiety that comes with it. And in the same way, the joy of us understanding repentance is that we had this enormous debt of moral failings and brokenness, of our shortcomings. And Jesus came to relieve that debt, to absolve, absorb all of it, and to say, you are free. Um, Tish Harrison uh, Warren, who, if you haven't been receiving, there's been a weekly Advent guide that's been going out. Um, Janelle and the team have done an amazing job. Um, I just want to say again, I had no, no part in this. <laughs> they have put together an amazing guide, week, for, week by week, day by day of prayers, scripture, devotionals. Um, and a lot of it has been kind of leading and prompting out of this book that she wrote. But I love this part. It says, yet repentance flows from the hope that while our sin is real, it is not the most real thing, and it does not have, all, have the final word. That our brokenness, our failures, and our shortcomings, and the kingdoms that we've invested way too much time into, all of that is not the final word. That although our debt can feel so enormous, it is not the final word. It is real. We can't just say, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm just going to forget about it. <laughs> I'm just going to move somewhere and then just get rid of my past. Now, all of that is real. The injustice, the brokenness, the evil in this world, the greed, the corruption, the, the, the violence, all of that is real. It exists. But the Advent story is have, have joy and excitement because that will never be the final world. Jesus will come. His kingdom will come. His kingdom of justice, of restoration, of healing, of wholeness, of peace. The Prince of Peace will arrive. Um, and I'm going to ask the community ushers and our worship team to come back up. And my question today as we close and going into the new year is has God's grace become dull for us lately? Has the joy of God's grace become just a background noise to us? Has the excitement of God's grace become just very quiet in our lives. And my challenge is the only possible way to see God's grace as illuminating, beautiful, and magnificent each day is to enter into a life of continual practice of repentance. I still remember the day that I got saved. Um, I grew up in church the entire life, but there was a moment um, that I just had this encounter with God where the gospel just became very real, tangible, and I remember, like, just singing, just listening to Amazing Grace and just being swept by it. Just every time, like, just in tears, just emotional. Every time I looked at the cross, it just, it just does drive. And it's, like, well of emotions. 
I was like, wow, he, he saved me. Like Jesus somehow felt I was worthy enough of a treasure to say, you are my son. And this uh, final quote here, Kevin um, is on the screen, but Tim Keller, talks about how when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. The only way we can see grace beautiful, real, and magnificent in our lives is if we truly understand what he paid the price for. He did not come on this Christmas Eve so that we could just have a cool service for generations and centuries. He didn't come into this world incarnate so that we could have a festive Christian calendar. Jesus entered into this world to have a mission, to have a heart to say, you are my treasure. And I'll pay the price so that I can be yours. Then and only then can grace have this jolt of excitement and joy in our lives. And the final verse in Matthew 1, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find your rest, find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because the reality is, the kingdoms of this world are not gentle. They're not humble in heart. They're ruthless. They're demanding. They're exhausting. The pursuit of the things that the world offers and promises is painful. It's a long journey. But Jesus reminds us that his grace is gentle, humble in heart. He offers something different. He offers rest. And so I hope this Christmas season that we find rest. We find times to be able to slow our rhythms, to stay away from the hurry, and maybe just do a self-examination, just a reflection in our hearts, say, God, search my heart. What areas of my life have I been just angry and bitter towards others? What areas of my life have I been just building my own pride and guilt? What areas of my life do I feel just swelled up with failure? I just ask the Lord to come and to give you rest.